Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your host, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. Hi, Sim. Hey, Sonia. I have a question for you. Already? My gosh. Can I like just breathe? in this episode or no? No, absolutely not. We are here to work every second that we can fill with productivity. That is what we're going to do. So first and foremost, do you feel like we should change our intro? Like, do you feel like a millennial these days? Yeah, I do. Do you? I really do. (laughs) I feel old. The fashion trends that are recycling what we witnessed when we were younger are coming back into play and people are calling it vintage people, Gen Z. No, what's vintage? No joke. I saw someone make a video yesterday and they were like, not yesterday, it was when like Coachella was going around and they were making outfit videos and someone was like, vintage Roxy. Oh. Oh. Vintage Roxy? What's next? Vintage Billabong? Like, (laughs) I... Vintage Element? Do you feel like a millennial? I think the title sticks. People always ask me, have you memorized it? No. No. No one's actually asked me that. (laughs) Sonia's like, could I do this on a whim? She's like, no, I can't. (laughs) What if I get it wrong? (laughs) What if I forget the words? What if I forget my name? (laughs) It's the fear. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who are we again? Now, before we begin, we want to take a moment to thank our season sponsor for powering this week's episode. Are you ready to take control of your financial future and you don't know where to begin? Meet Perla, the Aussie investing platform that makes it easy for anyone to invest in the stock market and build a sensible, diversified portfolio. With Perla, you can start investing with as little as $5. Perla's unique community-driven experience guides you through the process of selecting your investment goals, creating a portfolio tailored to your needs and tracking your progress over time. One of the things that we love most about Perla is their commitment to financial education. Perla commits to empowering investors through tools like template portfolios with access to easier investing and supportive community connections. Perla also offers great insight and data that help pave the way for equitable investing. Their research finds women are investing more of their income than men and more women invest on their platform than men. Perla also walks the walk with open pay transparency to help facilitate open conversations about wage, roles and opportunities within the financial industry. If you're feeling overwhelmed by all the options, Perla's platform is intuitive and easy to use with powerful tools that give you control over your investments. You can track your portfolio's performance, set up automatic investments and even invite friends and family to invest alongside you. Don't wait to start building your financial future. Check out Perla.com today and start investing in your goals. But what are we talking about today? What we're talking about today is, is there such thing as a self-made millionaire? I have seen so much discourse around the use of the term self-made millionaire. And I think people feel very strongly about it. You either are someone that goes absolutely like, of course, I've seen so-and-so. Usually it's people in their lives or themselves that have like, you know, started from the bottom and made it to where they are as Drake so famously lets us know. And then there's people that go, no, there's absolutely no way. Like if you've accumulated wealth, you have not done it on your own, you have either done it off the backs of people, which is like more of like an ethical dilemma, but also you have so much privilege and luck and all these other things. And to say it's done by yourself is not correct. And so I wanted to discuss that with you because we are actually in a time where more and more millionaires are being sprouted or created. We've never lived in a time 
where we've had more millionaires than now, but that's also, you know, inflation. It's less money technically to be a millionaire than it was like 50 years ago. So I want to have a chat with you because I think when we talk about these kind of things, this is where Sonia's opinions like really shine. Not to say that they don't shine when we talk about like top three ETFs, but when you like come into social commentary, it is so intriguing. So I want to pick your brain if we can say that. I want to share our thoughts and I want to fight today. That's what I want to do. You want to fight? Wouldn't we not want to fight? I know, but I just feel like this year I've turned over a new leaf. You know, let's keep the bigger. No, you no, haven't. No, I haven't. I'm so sorry. We'll probably fight. <laughs> it's the episodes that when we like are gearing up for a debate, we're so nice to each other. And then these like conversational commentary ones, we're like, are you okay? What's wrong with you? And Sonia will say something and I'll just look at her and she'll be like, actually, I take it all back. Yeah. It makes me feel so insecure. But that's oh. why we're starting off with you first. Let's test the waters. Bring me your first point and let me see how I can disagree with you. Well, the first thing that I wanted to bring up around the discourse of if there is such thing as a self-made millionaire is just talking about how most millionaires get their money. Because I think there's no way that we can determine if it's even possible or not without being like, okay, well, where did it come from? Because if it's all coming from like generational wealth, that's an easy answer. If it's all coming from, I don't know, other means, that's different. So there was a few studies done. One was a 2019 study by WealthX. Another one was a Fidelity study. And the WealthX study found that more than two thirds of individuals with a net worth over 30 million, we're not talking about, you know, 1 million. We're not talking about those peasants. We're talking about 30 million or more. More than two thirds of them are considered self-made, quote unquote, and they found that in the Fidelity study, 88% of millionaires were self-made and these were people that did not inherit their wealth. So that's what they define as self-made. And so initially you can look at this data and go, okay, wow, that's a lot of people. So many millionaires are self-made, therefore most millionaires do it themselves. Therefore to grow money, it's like your own accord. But if the definition of self-made just means you didn't inherit it, I feel like it doesn't take into account the other things that have helped someone get there. For example, connections, for example, maybe not inheriting wealth, but inheriting other resources from their families and the people around them. And I'll get into my second point later, but they wanted to have a look and see okay, well, how do these people make their money? And so the Fidelity study found that their top sources were their assets, like their investments, their capital appreciation, their compensation and employee stock. So let's say someone when they were like 22 years old, got a job at Facebook when it was quite a small company. And then as Facebook grew, their company shares that they had that were initially worth nothing were worth like, you know, 300% more. And so these people are often the ones that have quote unquote normal jobs, but become millionaires from becoming very like niche down. And so one thing that they looked at was what's the kind of three main paths to become a millionaire. And it was deciphered as one, being a specialist, being someone that is so good at their field, so niche that they just like keep rising their way up through the corporate ladder. So these are like your execs, these are like your chief technology officer, your chief financial officer, your chief I don't know, people's officer. The other way was then entrepreneurship. So entrepreneurship, people that like make companies, of course, and grow their wealth that way. And the third way was often like the sort of slow and sure way of you're not becoming a millionaire instantaneously, but you're doing it through kind of being like a 
everyday person that like spends less than they earn, puts their money away and like slowly accumulates wealth through their shares, through their real estate over time. Also, when they looked at how these millionaires were behaving, they found that 30% of them were concerned with preserving their wealth, but 20% of them were sort of focused on growing their fortune. And so if you really think about it, these aren't people that are like gunning nonstop throughout their whole lives. They've kind of often made their money and they're just like, let me just keep it going. Let me just kind of trickle it through. So my first thought about this is to have made that kind of money, to have been a specialist or to have become an entrepreneur when you know most businesses often fail in the first two years, what makes these people different? What makes it be a case of okay, they got to make it work, but someone else didn't. And I think that leads me to my second point, which is that people go, oh, I'm self-made because I didn't have mum and dad bootstrapping my company with me, or I didn't get like an injection of $50 million, or I had to, you know, get a part-time job and no one gave me financial help. But I think that help when it comes to being self-made is not just financial and resources can be in the form of a multitude of things. We can have resources through connections. We can have resources through the fact that you can even have two parents at home cooking and cleaning for you and making sure that you have a stable life. That's a level of privilege that I think people assume everyone gets granted with and that is not the case. Even the privilege of growing up in one home and being able to not move around or not have to rent and therefore like uplift your life and go to different schools and have all these disruptions. Like imagine what that does to someone compared to a person that has the same route to school every day, the same neighborhood, the same friends. Life is very stable and they can focus on what's next instead of focusing on the third move of the year. And an example of this is like Matthew Perry from Friends who is somewhat a self-made millionaire someone could look at him and go like he didn't have the way to just fund his way through Hollywood his mum was the PR person for the prime minister of Canada Justin Trudeau's dad do you think like his mum didn't have a few connections up her sleeve like that doesn't necessarily mean that Matthew Perry started from the same like level as everyone else I actually 100% agree with you. I was like trying to really listen and pick out some points that I disagreed with, but I agree with everything that you're saying. And I am going to go into my points because I feel like it links really nicely and then maybe we can have a discourse about it, maybe an argument. Although I'm going to, spoiler alert for everyone listening, it's probably not (laughs) going to lead into an argument. Sim's probably going to agree with me. But I wanted to talk about This Bank of America study, the Bank of America, they surveyed over 1,000 individuals in the United States who held over 3 million in investable assets. Investable assets are just things that you own that can be easily liquidated and invested. And out of the 1,000 individuals, 46% had a head start. So almost half of the super rich people surveyed either had some inherited wealth or an affluent upbringing, which I think speaks to your point of the head start. I think it's so interesting that some people, mostly Nepo babies, (laughs) they have a very hard time understanding and admitting to the head start that they have, you know, being born into wealthy families, getting quote unquote small loans from your dad for 100K, getting 250,000 USD from modeling gigs before you were 18 to start your business. Those are massive head starts. And I 
just really want to echo what Sim said that it doesn't always have to be about money. But when money and finances are not an issue for you, they're not a worry for you, you're free to put your energy into products, services, the quality of those things, marketing, instead of focusing on funding, investing into your business. You kind of have to convince people to believe in you if you didn't have certain head starts or if you weren't in certain rooms already. And a lot of people who have come from low income or poor families who have no networking capital. They either have to work like a thousand times harder to get into these rooms compared to someone who just got a ticket to that event or like that room, this room that we speak of, and they're the CEO of X company or their mum was on the board of Y company or their family name has prestige to it. It's like the old money vibes. And in the same study, 20% of the ultra wealthy they reported were self-made and it defines them as people with a middle class or poor upbringing and no inheritance. And when they were comparing these people, they found that the way that people came into wealth or got their money, it affected their view on money as well. So for example, the self-made ultra-rich, they held higher proportions of stocks in their portfolios and young investors also more likely to buy crypto or alternative investments compared to other people who inherited their money. This is the generational wealth that we talk about. A lot of people get their properties passed down to them from families, jewelry, heirlooms, other investments that they don't really have to think about. But when you're self-made, you're making like such a conscious decision where your money's going. And it's almost like you don't have the same like gambling tendency or I don't know how to describe it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. Like when you know that your family's got you, you don't really have to worry too much about the repercussions of taking a risk, mostly. (laughs) Whereas like if you're self-made, like you hear those really feel-good stories of like sports players being the first millionaire in their family, buying their mum a house and all of that. They kind of do have to be a little bit careful in what they're doing with their money, especially if they want to have generational wealth for their family where other people don't have to consider the same risks. But yeah, I feel like that tied into your point really nicely. Do you think that there ever is such thing as a self-made millionaire? Yes. Really? Okay, let me explain. I think with the definition that we're using in terms of no inherited wealth and you know, no inherited like assets being passed down to them. I think there's definitely self-made millionaires. However, I think we'd all be kidding ourselves if you think that, you know, the love and support from your family isn't considered a privilege. Those like non-monetary privileges that come into play that other people just don't have. I think I like the term community made better because usually you always have the support of your family, your friends, the community around you, and that's who lift you up, who support you. So I do think that there are self-made millionaires. I don't know if I agree if there are self-made billionaires. (laughs) That's like a different amount of wealth that in my head, like I can't even conceptualize right now. But for me, I kind of, and this was my second point, I don't know what the right answer is, you know, like when I think about ethics or when I think about like values and morals, I'm like, is it ethical to be a millionaire 
or is it ethical to be a billionaire, you know? Because on one hand, I do think that wealth distribution is a huge issue in most countries and it's a topic of conversation that people have a lot, especially during when taxes are due and when elections are running. But at the same time, I would want to also have generational wealth. If I had kids, you know, my nieces and nephews, my friends, children, I would want to pass my wealth down. I wouldn't want them to grow up where they had to worry about money, you know? So does that make me a hypocrite? I don't know. What are my opinions? You tell me. To answer the question for myself, do I think there is such thing as a self-made millionaire? I don't. If we're looking at it by the broad definition of did you get money to start your thing, then yeah, sure. There's lots of people that are self-made millionaires. You could classify myself as a self-made millionaire, but I don't classify myself as a self-made millionaire. I think it's like definitely community made. I think if I looked at my life and if I looked at someone who grew up very similarly to me, I can still pinpoint the differences in like my upbringing that allowed me to like do what I did. And that included like being able to grow up in an area, even though like Sonia and I went to a public school, we had really good schooling for certain kids. And it was quite interesting. They put certain groups of kids into like, what do you call them? Like extension classes. And so getting to be surrounded by like extremely talented people. I was the dumbest in the class. I actually got kicked out of that class in my second year of high school because they were like, she's actually not that smart. And then I did like try hard to get in into my third year of high school, being surrounded by people like that. And then constantly feeling like I had to do better and constantly like being like, okay, this is just how everyone thinks. Like my worldview was based off 30 extremely intelligently gifted girls. And so I just thought everyone thought like that. Things like that affect your psyche as a kid. Things like being able to have parents that will happily sit down with me and talk to me about business and money and go, this is what we did. This is what so-and-so did. Or if I asked questions to like, let me in on it and like chat about it. I think the privilege of having friends that were or are wealthy and hearing how their family run things and hearing them talk about like, yeah, my family has like $10 million of debt. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, these aren't normal things. Being privy to information, I think, is a privilege. And I think even just being allowed to grow up and being told, like, you can do anything you set your mind to. And if you ever need anything, like, you can always fall back on us. Like, that's a privilege. Not everyone can even say that they can take on a risk. And if the risk doesn't work, they can always move back home. And I think, like, especially in Asian households or South Asian communities, like, there's a huge level of your parents will and can financially support you and it's not stigmatized and it's not weird even in your 20s. Whereas maybe if I grew up in a different culture, I might feel more like, you know, I need to move out at a certain age and like do everything myself. Like when I started my first business, I lived at home during university and living at home during university means I don't have to worry about like the laundry or I don't have to worry about like food. I can just focus on getting good grades And then that leads to like to the next opportunity or I can go, oh, I have the mental capacity to start this like fun side business because I don't have to work 20 hours on top of full-time study. Like all these things add up in my opinion. And I think it's like a disservice. I remember my mom once telling me when I was 15, I was like, oh, I got, you know, this grade. I'm so happy about it. And she was like, I hope you know it wasn't just you that got that grade. And I was so offended. I was like, excuse me. 
who set the test? Like who studied the internal? And my mom was like, yeah, but you studied a lot because you could, because during those stressful times we would come and bring like dinner to your room or we would like check in on you and bring a tea or like all you had to do was study. Like I'd hope you got a good grade during it. I think that's so funny in terms of we went to the same school and I didn't have the same worldview. I think another form of privilege that I credit my parents with is that I had the freedom to just be a kid and I didn't have that much emphasis placed on you need to study so hard and that's all you're going to do like in the holidays and this is who you're comparing yourself to. I didn't really compare myself like grade-wise And I wasn't in these classrooms and I was still receiving a great education. I had a great time like with my friends and I have a lot of good memories associated with that school and some not great ones of just being a kid, but then also outside of school as well. And even just being able to go home and my parents were working and I was able to kind of be raised in a really safe environment of, okay, I'm going home and I can relax. Like I'm not going home and I'm not being pressured to like get a job or to like think about a future that is going to bring me like a lot of money. Because I think a lot of times with Asian households, when they put that emphasis on study and control and that strictness, I've had really good, great conversations with my Desi friends here and back home around the only reason that they work so hard is so they could get a paycheck to leave home so they didn't have to be in that environment anymore. And they have very turbulent relationships with their parents because their whole motivation was like, sure, I don't want to rely on anyone else and I'm in a great job, but I was pushed into this position and it was my ticket out of that. And I think when you're growing up, you're right, it has massive impacts on your psyche and you like look at other kids and it can get quite judgmental especially because even in high school you're putting people on a hierarchy like the kids that do sports or music or get good grades whereas like the kids that just exist and then there's like the naughty kids you know like quote-unquote naughty kids. Sonia and I were the naughty kids in our English class together do you remember that? We weren't even naughty, bro. What was naughty? <laughs> like We would sit at the back. I remember at one point I was like just pulling your like fake nails off you and then I made you bleed and then we were just like, what's going on? That's like detriment to us. We never like interrupted the teacher. I was so into that English class as well. But yeah, I think it's interesting that we both went to the same school and we had like these two different experiences and perspectives. When I go to like my friend's houses, sure, I, maybe I noticed like that they had things that I didn't have or like their parents would do more things for us in terms of like taking a boat out onto a lake and like a boat. A boat. Yeah. Like there's just like so many things that I would notice, but I just feel like I was in la la land until I started working. And I think that's a massive privilege. And I would want my kids to be like that too, in terms of, I don't want them to worry about money. I want them to focus on just being a kid and yeah, sure. Like studying here and there, but I hope that it's not in like such a stressful environment where they are just trying to get out of my house. Cause I'm like, we're friends, you know, why are you leaving? Why are you working so hard? Do you want to get a job and get out? (laughs) So what's your real reason for going to university? Like be honest. Let's be real. I hope your kid gets an education. (laughs) I hope you don't (laughs) stop your child from succeeding. Just (laughs) homeschooled. (laughs) This is like 
actually a form of abuse? Like to neglect them to the point where they have to stay with you? (laughs) No, I would never. But I'm just saying that I think when we were growing up, there were also like stories of girls who didn't really have the option to go to uni because they had to get a job to help their families and to like raise their younger siblings or their cousins. And that was always really hard to hear. So I agree with you. Privileges come in many forms. Community made. I've always loved that term, especially because it gives people the credit that they deserve in their part of your success. I do have a question. Why do you think people get so defensive about the self-made title? Like you have these Nepo babies or even people who like are entrepreneurs that aren't in like entertainment industries. They will fight tooth and nail to be like, I'm self-made. My parents didn't have anything to do with this or my connections, you know. I just like wonder where that defensiveness comes from. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. I feel like it comes from a form of putting your productivity as your self-worth. And if you only have your productivity as the defining factor of you, then of course you're going to get so defensive if the only thing that you think you have is being taken away. Like if I put so much value into how I look, and that's just an example, but if I was like, this is the only thing going for me, if someone said I looked ugly, like I think that would hurt me so much more than if someone called me ugly and I was like, well, it's one part of me and your subjective opinion. It hits a nerve because it means so much. It also seems to be a case of like entrepreneurs tend to be people that really need validation through their productivity. Often they're really successful because they go, let me be so refined and so good with my time and I feel great when I achieve things. So I'm going to keep achieving things. And then as a product of needing to achieve things, they end up doing quite well because they're very consistent. Imagine then going up to that kind of person and saying, but you didn't do it on your own which is true. They didn't do it on their own. They have privileges. Like I think it's also a very Western way of looking at the world of like me, like the Western view, in my opinion, when it comes to being self-made is while I have actions and I've done these actions and I've had success and therefore the success comes from my actions. Exactly. And the detriments that I do come from my actions. And it's very like one-to-one. And I think in the way that we've grown up, it's kind of like 
everything I do affects me and 12 other people. Like we would be the kind of kids that would be like, well, if I get a tattoo, what are my parents going to think? Or if I go down this route or do this with my life, is this going to be good? Like I have friends that are still in jobs that they hate because those are stable jobs and it helps their parents pay their mortgage. And those friends will do those jobs not because they love it and they are probably going to be more satisfied somewhere else, but they feel a duty and they say things like, well, Simran, my parents put in so much time and energy to help me study, to like make sure I had everything I needed so that I could become like a X, Y, Z. And even though I don't enjoy it, they invested in me so that I could, you know, help the family. And I'm the only child in the family that like has a stable job. So it's like on my shoulders. I just think nothing is self-made. So I remember reading a comment once under one of our posts around discourse of being a self-made millionaire. And some person said, well, then by that definition, like no one is ever self-made, like nothing is done on your own. And I was like, yeah, that's the point. Like, that's what we're trying to say. Everything is interconnected. Like everything you do has some butterfly effect of someone else being there to help you to say even that like girls that invest were successful because of just our hard work. Like, yeah, Sonia and I know how many hours we put into this. We know the late nights, but we also know the level of luck that we ran into or the level of meeting the right person at the right time, or even something as simple as when we started, it just happened to be that the share market had tanked, but then it came up so quickly and so much stronger and suddenly everyone was talking about it. Do you think if we started Girls That Invest today, like in this market when everything's dropping, that people would have been as interested or we would have received as much just like commitment into this kind of stuff, like this kind of growth that we had in two years probably would have taken like seven years in the normal world, but we just happened to be there at the right place at the right time. That doesn't mean we're self-made. That means we had good timing, good people around us, just so many factors of luck and attempts of trying that made it work as opposed to like, well, we did it on our own. Do you think people feel that way because they think it takes away from their accomplishments? Like we're so upfront with us being community made, community driven, our luck, you're so transparent, especially in the Girls at Business episodes that are out on Thursdays. Please go have a listen. It's actually pretty great. I always download them for my whole girl walks. <laughs> but like, I feel like it doesn't take away from like our success and what people think of us. So I wonder if people think if you knew someone that was like their parents were millionaires, they created a great product beautiful product. Let's just say it's like a life-changing sunscreen or something. No white cast, SPF 60. You can reapply it and it doesn't look greasy. If anyone knows anything like this, please let us know. The Nivea one is good. You always say that. I'm a lot darker than you. (laughs) Okay. I send it to my friends of all skin. You know what? It it doesn't matter. (laughs) It just doesn't work. (laughs) It's irrelevant to the story. I'm trying to build a picture here. And they come out with the sunscreen, right? Magical sunscreen. Yeah. If you knew their parents were billionaires and like they grew up around factories and had all these connections, would that take away from the product? No, I'm still going to buy the product. I might say to you, oh, well, it sounds like you probably had some help. And you might say, no, I didn't. But like you did. And that's okay. Okay, I feel like there are people who like lean into their privileges and they acknowledge how they grew up. They acknowledge having, what's his name, Eugene Levy as a dad and then Dan Levy 
creating Shit's Creek. He's been so open and transparent. Doesn't take away from the great show. Doesn't take away from his comedy and his success because he's leaning into like like what's so hard with just admitting it. You know, you become more likable when you acknowledge you have a head start. And I think it just creates a more fairer picture. And I think that's why I've never struggled with sharing the privileges that I've had because rather than being like, oh no, this takes away from me if I tell people that I went to like the school or I grew up in this area or that my parents do have a home that they've had their whole lives that they bought. I view it as like, I'm setting a realistic picture and I don't want to say to people, hey, I did this, therefore you can do it the exact same way as I did. I want to be like, hey, I did this and these were the factors that helped me. So if you have those factors, it's going to be easier for you. And if you don't have those factors, it might be harder for you. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but I find it so helpful if I can look at someone else, see what they've done to achieve their success and then hear their story of how they did it because I can go, oh, of course that person did it that way. And then I feel less stressed about it and I feel like it's okay. <laughs> like I don't have to have done that in the way that they've done it. Like they had other things that helped them. Yeah. People talk about Warren Buffett being a self-made billionaire. His dad had great connections and also – for comparison's sake, he got majority of his wealth when he was like 50 and then after he retired, you know, like he didn't achieve all of that while he was in his 20s and having a quarter life crisis every other day about who he is. So calm down. I think also people forget that like Warren Buffett's dad was a stockbroker. Like Warren Buffett bought Coca-Cola shares when he was like 11 years old. Like if I had shares at 11 years old, I'd be fine too. Also his lecturers just happened to be Benjamin Graham, like the person that literally wrote that very thick, like maroon colored book called The Intelligent Investor. That was Warren Buffett's teacher. Like of course the man that writes the most like OG investment book then teaches the kid that learns investing at 11 years old. Like you think if Warren Buffett didn't become the world's like richest investor, I would be disappointed actually. I'd be like, this man is not worthy. (laughs) Actually, yeah. And see, I get the flip side of that pressure. Like are you allowed to just be if you are born into like wealth? Warren's like, I just want to go and play on the scooter. And Benjamin Graham's like, no, we have to study the like DCF method today. Yeah. What is wealth really? I feel like that's probably a good place to wrap up this episode. But I think if we could really just summarize our viewpoints, you know, at the end of the day, millionaires have often come across as most of them being self-made. Studies showing that like 68 to 88% of them are self-made, but that just looks at the financial point of view. Most of them get their money from things like investments, from things like stock options, from entrepreneurship, or just the slow and steady investing style. But resources aren't just financial, and you've got to account for all the different areas and ways that we can have privilege which kind of then lead into the idea that we are community made and it's a very like Western versus almost Eastern mindset of, okay, well, did I actually do this by myself or was it all these small accumulative effects that other people have had? And I guess we can't like, as Sonia said, come to the right answer. But if I had to give an answer, is there such thing as a self-made millionaire? Absolutely not. Sonia, final thoughts. I'm going to say no. 
All right. Well, I hope you enjoy this episode. This is definitely a different one where we, I guess, just dive into our thoughts as opposed to anything else. If you've enjoyed this, please take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram, tag girls that invest. It means the world to us. It helps us get the podcast out there and helps us spread the joyful message that millionaires don't exist in a self-made vacuum. And we will see you next week. Until next time, Sonia. Till next time, Sim. Bye. Bye. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alrighty, till next time team. Bye.